Good morning once again. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 4, short text today. But before we jump into it, I want to at least spark your imagination about a conversation that is ongoing nowadays and probably has been for quite some time, but it seems like we're, we're getting around to some of the greatest people that have ever played particular sports, especially. Um, you think of football, who do you think of? All right, Tom Brady. You think of baseball, who do you think of? <laughs> Mickey Mantle, that's a good one. Altuve, yeah. In, in like 50 years, we're going to be talking about him as one of the greats. Uh, what about basketball? Yeah. So you, you guys are all very well aware that uh, our culture and our sportscasters and just people in general who watch sports love to classify these people as goats. Y'all ever heard that term before? Greatest of all time, which is very interesting because we don't know who's going to come later. And the, the ones that we may talk about this morning, uh, they may not have had any idea that 50, 60, 70 years after they played their sport, that we would be talking about them as a goat. I don't know that anyone's ever going to surpass 100,000 passing yards and, and play for 20-plus seasons like Tom Brady, but it could happen. He, he's the greatest of all time for now, is one way to think of it. So I actually researched this article, uh, uh, CBS Sports put out an article earlier this year that named who they uh, figured to be the top nine goats of all time for North American four major sports. So we're talking baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. I know you may not consider hockey like a major sport, but if you go up north especially, is, and it is, is North America, so like up into Canada as well, it's a big deal. All right? It's not as a big a deal for football up there as it is for hockey. So for these four major sports, I'm going to give you the top nine goats that they compiled on their list. Number nine, Gordy Howe. Y'all know what sport he played? Hockey. All right. Number eight, Mickey Mantle. I actually heard that one a second ago. Baseball. All right. What about Joe DiMaggio? Baseball. Yogi Berra? Baseball. All right. Number five, Wayne Gretzky? Hockey. Number four, Bill Russell? Basketball. Very good. Number three, Tom Brady? I get a what from Jared, even though I mentioned this boy in my sermon. Yeah, number three, Tom Brady for football, right? Number two, Babe Ruth, baseball. And number one, Michael Jordan for basketball. Now, there were some different metrics that they used to kind of weigh who was better and who was greater and whatnot. And the three that really came to the top were these Number of championships, so like complete season championships, number of league MVPs, and number of finals series MVPs. Now, there are other metrics that could be considered, and among those are not just the way they played the game, but the way they were in life. There were, there were some personal qualities that, uh, that benefited them as well in this discussion. Um, so we talk about these nine goats of all time, greatest of all time athletes up until now. It's just an opinion from CBS. I'm sure you might have some that you might want to add to it or take away from it. Uh, but when it comes to the race of faith, there's no contest. There's no discussion to be had. There's no question who is the greatest. 
Jesus. He's the groat. We're going to talk about that in just a second. I know, I'm sparking your imagination. I didn't have anybody guess it correctly in the first service before I said it. So y'all be thinking. Pay attention to context. That helps as well. So Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen if you have it in front of you. Uh, And if you would, could you go ahead and stand as we read out of respect for God's word? We're going to go through verse 4. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. May God bless the reading of his word. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Um, There are a few considerations that I want you to pay attention to as we walk through this text together. There are four, and the first one that I want to present to you is this, to consider your surroundings. Consider your surroundings. So as we approach this text, the writer, the author of Hebrews, is making us aware of some tips and some tools of possibly how to run this race as best as we possibly can. And the first thing that we're told is there are things around us that will either help us or hurt us. The things that will help us here are the cloud of witnesses. And I I wonder who he's talking about. Because throughout this whole text, he doesn't even mention any, except Jesus. But this is some cloud of witnesses that he's referring to here. But if you paid attention to the very first word of our text, you would know that I'm about to ask you a very important question. What is the therefore, therefore? Well, if you go back to Hebrews 11, you can see it's the hall of faith chapter. It's the by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All these amazing things happened through these normal people. It was always God. God gets the glory. God's doing the work through people. And he's even doing it still today. This isn't something that we can just read in a history book. Look around you. Your witness is important. Your testimony is important. In in essence, we are a cloud of witnesses. Uh, I, up there in the baptistry, I know Peyton felt encouragement from you cheering him on. That's exactly what's going on here in this text is we don't just have the people that we can talk about, the Moses and the Abraham and the Rahab and all the people listed in Hebrews 11 and throughout Scripture and even throughout history in the modern context. We also have their stories, their actual witnesses, their testimonies that we can read about that can encourage us and spur us on as we run our race. But there are also a few things that are listed here that aren't so helpful to us. To us, And in fact, they're very hurtful as we approach the topics of the weight and the sin that we're specifically called to lay aside. And this lay aside has this idea of when you, when you put it aside, you don't revisit it. It stays there forevermore. It doesn't, it's not part of you anymore. It's not part of your identity. It's laid aside almost like waste or filth or trash. You would never want to touch it again. So two things that he describes here are the weight. Now this could actually refer to physical weight. And if you think about the idea of a race, if you want to run it as best as you can, you don't want to be carrying a bunch of pounds. 
You don't want to have any unnecessary weight because you're not going to run as fast. You're not going to be as in good a shape. You're not going to have as much stamina. So that's one thing to, to cut. But also this word can reference pretty much anything that will hinder you or be an impediment to running your race. It could even refer to clothing. If you ever watch the Olympics especially, but um, most sports, you want to have as little clothing on as possible so that it doesn't hinder you. It doesn't weigh you down in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, it's almost uncomfortable sometimes watching some of the Olympic sports because of how little they wear. Like, come on, you can swim just as fast. Uh, you can run just as fast. You can play volleyball just as well. We don't need to see any of that. But the, <laughs> the more you watch that, the more you realize, wow, that could have been a thousandth of a second. They, that could be the difference between first and second place. That could be the difference between breaking a world record and just coming up short is that one ounce of fabric that they could have been wearing. It's crazy to think about how superior these Olympians are as athletes. For me, if I run a mile in like 8 minutes or 8.50, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, if I'm running with a hoodie, it doesn't bother me. At least I'm staying warm out there. But no, not these kind of athletes. They want to have as little on as possible as re- with reference to physical weight and any kind of clothing weight. But there's also something else in this race of faith that we're supposed to lay aside, and that's our sin. Lay aside our sin. Sin gets a descriptor here. In my translation in the ESV, it says sin which clings so closely. Another way that it's translated in other translations is sin that encircles or sin that entangles you. And so when you, when you think about the sin in relation to the crowd, the cloud of witnesses, you get this idea. The crowd encircles you so as to encourage, but sin encircles you so as to entangle. And for that reason, it does cling closely. It will trip you up. It will set you off path. It will slow you down. It will take your focus off where your focus needs to be. So we must consider our surroundings. When I was growing up, especially as a young kid, I remember doing the fishing and hunting and all with my dad and my older brothers. And a lot of great memories there, a lot of good times. A lot of not-so-good times as well. As If you've ever been fishing or hunting with a 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old, you know it, it takes some patience. And I was always the youngest of the group, so I was kind of always the straggler. But I can remember my dad would always lead the way, especially as we were walking through the woods or whatnot. And he would look back momentarily and say, Hey, boys, make sure you step where I step. So I was always very careful to watch his feet and just... Oh, Yep. Oh, oh, I got off beat there. You know, <laughs> I got to have right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. And I can remember vividly not ever really thinking about why. Why does it matter? And one day he told me, you don't ever know what's in that grass. You don't know what holes may be in front of you. You don't know that I, I can see this rock or this, this root in front of me that would trip you up. And I'm trying to help you see that if you consider your surroundings, you can be more careful. You can stay away from danger. All right? So in a way, as we unpack this weight, as we lay aside our sin, which could possibly entangle us, if it's over here, it can't be right here. So we can run our race a lot better. And we can also have the encouragement of those testimonies and those witnesses, both through people and their stories, to, to urge us on, to spur us on together. But as we're running... We have to maintain focus. We have to consider 
our focus. It's very plain and direct here in this text. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we are to be looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. That verb is very interesting there. The way it's constructed is it does have the connotation of looking at something or someone, but it, it further is it's a little deeper in the sense that it's looking out of something to something else. So there's no question that what the race we're running is hard and difficult, and it has its uh, struggles, it has its obstacles, and it's not easy. There's no question about that. But as we're handling this race and trying to run it as best we can, we're not looking at all this stuff. We're looking at Jesus. We're looking out of the bad or the hard or the tough to Jesus. So what's so important about Jesus? Rhetorical question. I think many of you this morning here are very well aware of what is important about Jesus. But in specific relation to this text, why would the author bring it up now? All right, we're talking about a race. We're talking about running our race with endurance. We're talking about our surroundings. And we're talking about who we should be focusing on. Well, it it makes sense that if we're going to be following Jesus, that we should be looking at Jesus, (laughs) right? But in the very particular context of, of the writer of Hebrews here, not only is he expounding on the message of the entire book, which can be summarized in three words, Jesus is better, Jesus is better than the angels, the Moses, Abraham, the prophets, the priests, sacrifices. I mean, he is, Jesus is better. That's the theme of Hebrews. And now we're kind of winding down to the end of this letter, this book that has been written down so many years ago. And we're supposed to have our focus on Jesus. And the question is why? And he tells us why. He gives us several reasons why. Well, number one, he's the founder, the author, and perfecter of our faith. I love those two words, especially the way they work together. When you, when you think about the word author, you, you, I think about someone who wrote a book or, or someone who initiated something, they authored it. But here, this, this kind of even goes back a little more. This is like the idea of a founder, like someone who founded a city. And in fact, when cities were found, uh, for instance, like Athene, founded the city of Athens. Uh, we have many states and countries around our, our nation and our world that are named after people. That's just kind of how it goes. Like, hey, you find it, you claim it, you name it. And that's what's going on here. But what is being named specifically is faith, the race of faith. He's the founder of our faith. You can think of it as a founder or hero. A captain is another way to think of it. He is the original faith runner, let's call it that. But he's not just the original one, he is the perfecter of it. This word perfecter is a really interesting word. It comes from another word that talks about the end or the perfected or completed work of something. The telos, if you've ever heard that word before. And so when it comes to the the idea of faith, we look to Jesus as our example, not only because he authored it, pioneered it, started it, and he's the hero of it, it's because he did it the best that anyone's ever done it. He is the perfect example of faith. And in fact, he's the completer of faith. Not just in the way he lived it, but in the way we live our lives. That our faith is only made whole in Jesus. And nothing else, no one else. In him and him alone. And we get a little more description about 
this Jesus. He's not just the author and perfecter of our faith. He goes on to say that for the joy that was set before Jesus, set before him, he endured, he endured the cross. All right, now I'm not starting to like Jesus as an example very much anymore. This is starting to get a little more difficult. Okay, but if we're talking about the one who pioneered faith and ran it the, the best way it could have possibly been run, and he's the one that we're looking at, we also have to consider this other element about him. What was so special about Jesus and what is so special about us that he left heaven for the joy set before him. He left constant worship and praise and adoration and perfection in a timeless, eternal state to come and put on flesh and bones and be humiliated and live amongst evil and sin and darkness. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very joyful, at least in the way that we define joy nowadays. It's said that many people will endure many things for the sake of a prize. If they know that a prize is before them, that something good is waiting on the other end, they'll go through some hard times. They'll go through some tough things in order to get to that prize that they know is promised. I always think of the, the show Fear Factor. I'm like, all right, only one of you is going to win, but all of you have to go through all these awful things. Like, let's put you in a coffin and pour cockroaches on you. See how you do with that. Mm, nah, I'm good without 50000 It would be nice, but I don't really have to have it. It's, it's not worth that to me. But these people have this idea in their mind that if they can just push through, push through, push through, and outlast everybody else, well, then they'll win the money. They'll be the grand prize winner. They'll get $50,000, which is you know a pretty big deal. And so I'm thinking about Jesus in relation to this, I'm like, what's his prize? What, what going through all this turmoil and pain and agony and suffering that he went through, namely the cross, what was the prize on the other end? It's you, and it's me, and it's all those that he redeemed when he purchased our salvation on the cross. There's a lot embedded in that one little word, cross. But I think we get the idea of we're not just looking to a really cool runner, a great runner. We're looking to someone who ran better than we ever could and gave up way more than we ever could by taking on stuff, our stuff, your bad thoughts and bad actions, my evil desires and thoughts and actions. And all humanity for past, present, and future, he did that for us. I don't know about you, but that would also be encouraging to me as I run this race. Not only is the crowd saying, hey, you can do this, you can do this, don't quit, don't give up, keep pushing. Jesus is sitting there at the end of this track saying, I went farther for you than you ever could. I've completed this race in the most perfect way that it could ever be done. In essence, he's kind of saying that he is the groat, the greatest runner of all time. How many of you guessed that beforehand? Oh, I got one over here. Evan, see, you have a good youth pastor. That's, that's all there is to it. <laughs> all right. And, but to continue on with another description about Jesus is that he despised the shame. This is in verse, verse two continuing. He despised the shame. And 
we talk about Jesus as the perfect lamb. He never sinned, even though he was tempted. He's, you know, the second member of the Trinity, the son. He, there's all these amazing things about him. How could he have any shame to disdain or to despise? Well, I don't know about you, but if, if you've ever gotten in trouble for something that someone else did, you didn't feel very good, did you? Well, in a way, he took our punishment for what everybody else did and not including himself. That's pretty shameful. That's wearing shame in a sense. Not to mention the physical shame that he experienced with being beaten, with being nailed to a cross, hanging naked in front of his friends and family and a lot of other people. That's just the facts of the matter. It's exactly how it went down. And in a way, he he, he didn't... Uh, that was, it's not that he didn't validate it. He, he pushed it to the side. He disdained it. He despised it so that he could achieve his prize, so that he can complete his mission. And it says that now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Any of you ever seen the, all the movies in the Marvel universe? Yeah, we got, we got some young ones over here. All right, there's one specifically that I'm thinking of called Infinity Wars. Alright, uh, and the, the whole basic premise of the whole universe is there's a bunch of heroes and they fight villains. Alright, that's the, every story, that's how it goes. And so there's a super villain, his name's Thanos. You might have heard of him, you might have seen him on screen. And his job, what he thinks is his mission, his destiny in life is to gather all these infinity stones and put them in his cool gauntlet. And when, once he's gathered them all, he snaps his fingers and half the universe ceases to exist. And he does this because the universe is getting overpopulated, there's not enough resources, so his solution is basically genocide or mass murder is what all these heroes keep telling him. Uh, so he's trying to find all the stones, the heroes are trying to stop him, and they're like, if he gets that last stone, all he's got to do is snap his fingers. So long story short, he actually accomplishes his mission. At the end of the movie, he snaps his fingers, people start turning to dust, it's really a weird ending to a superhero movie because you want the good guys to win. Thankfully, there is a follow-up movie that I won't spoil for you called Avengers Endgame. Uh, but the reason I tell you this story is because after he's done with all that, uh, the, the world is seemingly quieter, it's seemingly more peaceful. He's like walking around in this garden and comes up on this little structure with a little chair there, and he looks out on the horizon and then he just sits down because his work was done. His mission was accomplished. And this is, I think, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us here is when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that was a cue as if to say, it's finished. My work is done. My prize is won. And it's a beautiful, beautiful moment for us as we're still running our race because he completed his race. Now we can run ours better. We have an opportunity to run our race. So consider your focus, but also consider your stamina. Because as I mentioned, we're running a race. How many of you like to run? Hey, we got some, we got some uh, takers in here. Uh, I like the benefits of running. Because I don't like to be overweight or out of shape. But I don't like to run. Like I had this coach in high school that like before practice he would just take us out to the track and say, Alright, y'all go. Run. 
how long? Just run. Well, how far? Just run. And like 40 minutes later, he blows the whistle. Man, that was hard. (laughs) But imagine Jesus, when you first meet him and you start following him, he says, all right, go run. Run your race. How long, Jesus? Until you can't anymore. Well, how far? As far as you can go. Well, how am I supposed to do this? Look at me. (laughs) Right? I mean, this is all embedded here in this text. But I want to point out that the writer is also cueing us to something else, and that's that people were becoming weary. They were becoming faint-hearted. Not really in a physical sense, but in their faith, in their faith race, and to the point that some people were even kind of walking away from it. They said, this is too hard for me. I can't take this anymore. I didn't know what I signed up for. I can no longer run this race. Jesus, I'm out. I don't care how many witnesses are around me encouraging me. I don't help care how perfect your example is, I can't do it. Well, and the truth is, we can't on our own. We need His strength. We need the encouragement. We need to lay aside the things that need to be laid aside. And we need, in a way, to kind of have a little bit of grit, a little bit of determination and perseverance. But the writer here tells us to consider Him who endured hostility against Himself From who? From sinners. I've been reading the Bible a long time. I've been studying it for quite some time. I'm not having arrived by any means at all. But when I looked back at verse 1, at the description of let us run this race with endurance. Let us run with endurance. I always thought that meant like perseverance, don't give up, don't quit. And those themes are all embedded in this text. It would certainly fit with the context. But... Just as Jesus endured hostility on his race, so too we endure the same hostility on our race. I don't know about you, but one thing that would probably drive me to want to give up in this faith race is that people don't like the way I live. And people say things and think things about me that either aren't true or they just aren't right. They're hurtful. Uh, Persecution happens. Suffering happens. And it comes our way. It's enduring this hostility, this this outside forces that are unobstructed, that we have no clue that they're heading our way, but yet they still come. Notice that there are things we can lay aside, but there are also things we can't prevent. And that's why that as those things are happening, we focus on Jesus. We consider Jesus because when our stamina level starts getting low and we start feeling like, I can't do this anymore, just turn your eyes back to him. And remember that he pushed through way farther than you ever could. And I know that because I'm talking to a bunch of people in this room today who are still alive. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus went to that point for us. He went to his death for us. So in a way, the writer's kind of trying to say, you can live or die. For Jesus, But either way, he's still your example. The last thing I want to point your attention to this morning is just kind of a summary point. And it's number four, ultimately consider Jesus. Now, we can talk about a lot of good themes in this text, and I believe they're all true to the text. But if we miss the main character, we've missed it all. Because this whole thing is about Jesus, not just this, these four verses we read. Not just the book of Hebrews, 
Not just the New Testament. This whole book here is about Jesus. And we cannot miss that point. Because as we consider our surroundings, think of Jesus. As we consider our focus, focus on Jesus. As we consider our stamina, we get our strength from none other than Jesus. So ultimately, we must consider Jesus. That word consider is a very interesting word in the Greek. It just means to add it up. The ancients, they would write all their numbers on a piece of paper and add from the bottom up and write their total on the top. So in a way, I think we've been given a lot of things in this text that we can think about, that we can write on our piece of paper. And so what I want you to do, especially now during our closing song and maybe even throughout this week, think of the things that are on your piece of paper and add them up. What do they equal for you? Is it just a bunch of notes on a page? Is it still a blank page? Are you adding it up and at the top you're like, I'll wait until later, or this is not for me, or this seems really hard, I can't do that. All the while Jesus is sitting there encouraging you, surrounding you with these cloud of witnesses. Even now, in this room, cloud of witnesses saying, come run with us. Come join us. Let's do this together. So I pray that as you consider all these things and you add it up in your mind, what you come to, what your solution is, is to choose Christ. To choose to follow Him. No matter how hard the race might be or how hard it might get, He still ran it better. He's our groat. He's the greatest runner of all time. And we get to look to Him as the perfect example. So I want to go ahead and pray for us right now. And um, I'll just ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And for those of you who may have heard this this morning and thought, you know, I've really thought, heard a lot about this Jesus and I've thought a lot about him. Or maybe I'm just hearing about him for the first or second or third time. And I, I really think that when I add all these things up that they equal that I need to turn my life over to him. That I need to submit to his will and follow him with the rest of my life. You saw Peyton this morning give you a public testimony of what it looks like to be buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to newness of life. If that's you this morning, I would just ask you to repeat this prayer after me in your head. You don't have to even say anything out loud. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or anything. But just between you and the Lord, something like this. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize I need your salvation that's offered through the cross. It comes through no other. Help me to turn my life over to you and seek to follow you for the rest of my days as both Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If that's you this morning, I would like to be able to follow up and encourage you in your new walk with Christ. And uh, so if you would, take a moment this week and send myself an email. Send it to Jonathan at msbchurch.com or Ernest or Brett. We would love to follow up and encourage you in your walk. And maybe you have questions or maybe uh, there's things that don't make sense. We would love to come alongside and encourage you any way we can. If you're out there this morning and you're like, man, I really need to just be running better. Just pray and ask God what are some things you can do as you consider your surroundings, your focus, your stamina, and ultimately Jesus. So we'll go ahead and stand, and we're going to sing a song of commitment. I'll be in the, song, in the back if you need to talk or pray about anything, and we'll go from there.